Welcome to episode 59 of the Burning Bush Podcast, where we share the message of the Bible while enjoying a good cigar. Hope everybody's doing well, and uh, glad you could stop by, take a listen to the podcast again. This week, I'm smoking the Romeo y Julieta Reserva Real, Connecticut. This is uh, probably one of the very few Connecticut shade wrap cigars that I really enjoy, so I don't smoke them often, but uh, I like this one. So let's go ahead and go over to the uh, website and give you the description. Romeo y Julieta Reserva Real. Woodsy flavor, tender aroma, even the most demanding cigar connoisseurs are sure to love the Reserva Real. Since their introduction in 1875, Romeo y Julieta has remained one of the choicest cigars crafted and one of the most often requested brands by connoisseurs. The Reserva Real blend is a carefully balanced recipe of Dominican leaf spiced with Nicaraguan leaf finished with a hand-selected blonde Connecticut shade seed wrapper grown in the valleys of Ecuador. Slightly mellow in flavor, it's an expertly crafted handmade smoke. The uh, wrapper is Ecuadorian Connecticut shade, binder is Nicaraguan, and fillers are Dominican and Nicaraguan. And the Vitolas are Porto Real and Tubo, 7 by 36. The Corona, 5.5 by 44. Churchill, 7 by 50. Number 2 Box Pressed Bellicoso, 6 and an eighth by 52. The Grand Toro and Tubo, 6 by 54. The Verona's Court and Tubo, Five and a half by forty-four, Lonsdale, six and five eighths by forty-four, Robusto, five by fifty-two, Toro, six by fifty-four, and the Magnum, six by sixty. And they also have uh, an "It's a Boy" in a glass tube, and an "It's a Girl" in a glass tube for uh, newborn babies. And they're both five and a half by forty-four. And I mean. When you have a newborn baby, not four newborn babies. Uh, so anyway, that is the Romeo y Julieta Reserva Real, Connecticut. All right, so let's go ahead and get back into this week's reading uh, of Dr. Justin Bass's book, The Bedrock of Christianity, from Chapter 3. And the section is entitled, Dating the Creedal Tradition. As we saw two chapters ago, New Testament scholar and historian Bart Ehrman talks about a wish list for historians trying to get to the truth of, or to use my words, time travel to, a historical person or event. This wish list includes having sources that date very close to the time of the person or event, having multiple reliable eyewitnesses, eyewitnesses having these eyewitnesses and sources corroborate with one another, and having them not be biased toward their subject matter. I argued in that chapter that if we followed these wish list criteria rigid, rigidly, we would have to throw out most of ancient history we now take for granted. In almost all cases, we do not have a person writing about an event who is unbiased or disinterested, 
and most of our sources date many generations, even hundreds of years after the person or event that is being described. For instance, consider another example that is appropriate to compare to Jesus, another founder of a world religion, Gautama Buddha. Gautama Buddha is believed to have lived from 563 to 483 BC. What is our earliest source for the historical Buddha? The first mention in history of the Buddha is found in inscriptions from the Edict of Ashoka, which are dated to the reign of Emperor Ashoka of the Mauryan Empire, 269 to 232 BC. That is a gap of more than 200 years between when the Buddha died and our earliest source referring to him. The first biography of Buddha laying out his life and teachings is not written down until the first century AD. That is a gap of almost 500 years, the very opposite of a historian's wish list for reliable sources. Now compare this to our earliest source for the historical Jesus, 1 Corinthians 15, 3-7. This creedal tradition seems to pass the highest of bars of rigorous historical analysis. Not only does it contain the reliable testimony of eyewitnesses who knew the historical Jesus, but as you will soon see, this creedal tradition dates from as early as months after Jesus' death to, at the very least, a decade after his death. This is not even one generation removed from the person and events they describe, let alone 200 years removed. Again. This is not the conclusion of only Christian scholars. Here is just a sample of what non-conservative, critical historians say about the dating of this creed. It is among the earliest confessions of Christian faith that we have. Going back to the time of Paul's conversion, and calling to become the apostle to the Gentiles, about three years after Jesus' crucifixion, and perhaps even earlier. The analysis of the formula tradition about the resurrection of Jesus allows the following conclusion. A tradition in 1 Corinthians 15, 3b-5, which goes back very close to the events themselves, attests appearances to both individuals and groups. The credibility of this tradition is enhanced because it is in part confirmed by the narrative tradition, which is independent, and because in the case of Paul, we have the personal testimony of an eyewitness who knew many of the other witnesses. The formation of the appearance traditions mentioned in 1 Corinthians 15, 3-8 falls into the time between 30 and 33 CE because the appearances to Paul is the last of the appearances and cannot be dated after 33 CE. This tradition, we can be entirely confident, was formulated as tradition within months of Jesus' death. What is bedrock concerning this creedal tradition is that it cannot be later than a decade after Jesus' death. 
Depending on whether Jesus' crucifixion is dated to AD 30 or 33, most put the composition of this creedal formula sometime in the early 30s AD. As Ehrman notes, the best sources, of course, are those nearest the time of Jesus himself. The creedal tradition in 1 Corinthians 15, 3-7 is very near the time of Jesus. I believe that New Testament scholar James Dunn has the best estimate, namely that only months after Jesus' death, this creedal formula was already being memorized and taught to new converts, possibly during the planning of churches by many of the apostles. I have contended above that Paul received this and other traditions and hymns when he met with Peter and spent time with James in AD 37, Galatians 1, 18-19. Many scholars agree with this contention, but some put the reception of these creedal formulas even earlier, either right after Paul's conversion in Damascus or sometime during his three-year stay in Damascus. They could be right, but it makes more sense that he received such information as he appeared to Cephas, he appeared to James, 1 Corinthians 15, 5, and 7, at the time when he first met with Peter and James, Galatians 1, 18-19. Whether it was right after Paul's conversion or three or five years after Paul's conversion, it is a bedrock fact that this creedal tradition was formulated sometime in the 30s AD. Now that we know when the creedal tradition of 1 Corinthians 15, 3-7 originated, let us look at where it came from and who originally composed it. That will do it for this week's reading of Chapter 3 from the Bedrock of Christianity by Dr. Justin Bass. So check out the link to Dr. Bass's website in the show notes where you can pick up copies of his books and check out his uh, YouTube page as well. Lots to learn there. And also uh, the link to this week's cigar, as well as groundworksministries.com for daily Bible studies and devotionals, and the Burning Bush Podcast merchandise store where you can pick up some things to uh, help spread the word about the show. And please tell your friends. So until next week, have a great day, have a great cigar. God bless.